Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Justin, one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time gathering with us, just grateful that you're here, that God brought you to be with us this morning. I would love to get to know you and we'll tell you a little bit more about how we can do that and how you can get to know us uh, at the end of our service today. If you need a Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, there'll be a couple of people that'll bring a copy of the Bible around to you so that you can read along out of God's Word with us this morning. So just keep your hand up till they find you. And if you don't own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. Uh, that's our gift to you so that you can have God's Word all throughout the week as well. You know, I remember as a kid in school sometimes uh, that teachers would pass out Connect the Dot worksheets. Anybody remember Connect the Dot worksheets? All right. So Connect the Dot worksheets, right? I mean, there's some good use for those, right? I mean, you would learn number sequencing or letter sequencing and how to follow a pattern. And we all know that it was important for us to pay attention because if we missed that one dot and drew the line to the wrong place, then everything got messed up. The picture didn't come together. And Connect the Dots can be simple. There's just a few dots to connect at times. The basics of the picture are already there. Or they can be super complex with a ton of dots, hundreds of dots, no real clue as to what the picture is going to be until you get a good ways into it. And even as adults, some of us still like to connect the dots. Recently, Eric Taylor, who did our liturgy this morning, told me with gleeful zeal that Moleskine finally has a journal that has a dot dotted grid page on it instead of just lines on it. He's very excited about that. <laughs> Maybe some of you are as well. Well, today, as we open up God's Word, we're going to do some dot connecting. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for just over six months, and, and we've been learning about and being challenged from God's Word with this one theme that we see all throughout the book of Hebrews, and it's that Jesus is better. Jesus is better, and it's something that we can easily say, but oftentimes we don't believe in our own lives, and so we've been coming back to it over and over again, seeing how the scriptures are calling us to believe that truth, believe that reality, that Jesus is actually better than anything the world could promise to you or offer to you. Most recently, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11, learning about what real, genuine, true faith looks like. And this past Sunday, last week, we looked at a part of Abraham and Sarah's story. And we saw a picture of what a life of faith in a broken down world looks like. We saw that what a life of faith of a sojourner looks like. A stranger in a strange land. Who though finds himself in this place is hopeful, expectant, looking forward to the new city where we will be with our God face to face, made perfect and complete and whole because of all that Christ has accomplished for us. This idea of faith, of God, taking God at his word, believing him in what he says he will do that he will actually do. So today what we're going to do is expound on that a bit more because today is Orphan Sunday. Today's Orphan Sunday. Now, it's a time every year since Sojourn Church has been a church that we've taken time to join together with thousands of other churches to talk about how we as followers of Jesus are called to, by our God, to care for and love the marginalized, in particular, orphans. We look around the world today and seeing the fact that there are millions of children who are orphaned. And so my hope today is that we take a, a bit of a pause from Hebrews is that we'll see how our identity as redeemed sojourners that we just talked about last week actually compels us to make orphan care a part of our lives, both as individuals and as 
a church family. And so we're going to do that in two ways. First, through just spiritual encouragement. And I hope today that you're just encouraged by much of what we talk about today, that it actually encourage you and impact your life in a very real way. But the second thing is that we're going to just dive into some practical application, how this actually can play out in our lives, all the while connecting the dots of who we are, who our God is, and how he calls us to live in light of both of those things. So whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're walking closely with him right now or you right now would stand up and say, I am not a Christian, no matter where you find yourself, first off, I'm just glad that we're all here this morning because this is something that's near and dear to my heart. And so I'm excited to share it with you. But more than it being near and dear to my heart, it's near and dear to the heart of our God. So no matter where you find yourself on your journey, I hope this is helpful and encouraging to you that God would use it, as I said, in a significant way. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together this morning to sing of your grace and your greatness, to marvel at the fact that you, God, give us life and that through giving us that life, we are able to, in return, praise you. And as we just sang this new song, that though our sins are many and they are, Lord, your mercy is more. What an unfathomable reality. Lord, we're grateful that we get to gather every week and be reminded of that truth. Gather every week and be encouraged by that truth. And so, Lord, as we dive into your word this morning on this Orphan Sunday in 2017, along with a ton of other churches around the country, around the world that are preaching on and talking about this this morning, I pray that you would do those two things that I said, that you would encourage us and that you would challenge us and help us to see how we can live this out in our lives. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you do a work this morning and that you get all the praise and glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And we're going to be looking at the first seven verses in Galatians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing this letter. And it's God's word to us this morning. Galatians 4 verse 1. I mean, the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians, both to encourage them and to challenge them. They're experiencing some temptation in their life and their spiritual journey. It's actually really similar to what the audience for the book of Hebrews is experiencing. They've been tempted to walk away from Jesus or add something to Jesus. Really tempted to not believe that Jesus is enough or that Jesus is better. They have to add something onto their work that Jesus' sacrifice is not sufficient for them. And so Paul writes this passionate letter of appeal to them to not add anything to what Christ has done actually believe that Jesus is better. And in this section, he helps them see a key reality, 
a key reality that radically changes our understanding of our relationship with God, and it's this, that through what Christ has done, we are adopted into the family of God. Through what Christ has done, we are adopted into the family of God. Now, to connect the dots even more from what we looked at last week, if we actually go back just a few verses in chapter 3, we see Paul mention Abraham in this promise that God has made to him and through him. Look at verses 28 and 29 of chapter 3. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. He says, look, if you know Christ, if you're united to Jesus by faith, faith believing that he is the son of God, that he came to die on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be justified and made right with God, then what that means for you is that you're Abraham's offspring. All the promises made to him are yours in Christ. You're heirs with those same promises because of Jesus. And so to unpack this idea a little bit more, Paul jumps into the reality of our spiritual adoption. In verses 1 through 3, Paul helps us to see this progression that has taken place before Jesus saved us and after Jesus saved us. He says, look, before you came to understand your need for Jesus, you were like a child, but a child who's a minor. See, when a son is a minor, he's too young to receive his inheritance, And so Paul says, well, basically what that means is is that you're just like a slave. Maybe you shouldn't go around and tell your kids that, right? (laughs) But the argument, what he's trying to make here is this, that you're you're still under the rule of the law of the house. You, You don't have true freedom when you're under your parents' house, when you're under this rule, just like a slave didn't. So Paul says, that's us. But before Christ became king of our lives and saved us from our sin, that was us before he gave us new life and a new heart that beats for him. We're not free. We're slaves. And what we're enslaved to, he says, are the elementary principles of the world. And what does he mean by that? The way that we could define the elementary principles of the world are the things that encapsulates, encapsulates whatever it is that you live by. Whatever code you follow before you follow Jesus. Whatever you live by. Whatever code you follow before you follow Jesus. Now what this means then is it applies to people who are religious and irreligious. If you're religious, religiosity is made up of rules and laws, right? That you're supposed to obey and do certain things in order to get something from God. Now, some people follow that and they think that's what they need to do, but then there's some that reject that and say, I don't want to have anything to do with religion, and so they choose irreligion, but there's still a set of moral values, values, standards that you've come up with either on your own, that you're seeking to live by or have been prescribed to you by culture or by your family. But see, whether you're religious or irreligious, it's all legalistic superstition, It's all legalistic superstition because you are doing something to receive something. You are doing something to receive something. Life, joy, peace, wholeness, happiness. As one pastor says, we are all in some sense under the law because we are all seeking to live up to some standard. Whatever that standard is, whether, again, it's religious or irreligious, both of those things promote, both of them promise freedom, 
but in reality, they're slavery. But why is that the case? The reason is, is because they do not, they cannot release you from your sin, which is everyone's biggest problem. And they cannot bring true and lasting transformation and restoration, which is everyone's biggest need. They can't do those things. And our enemy, the devil, whose main goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, uses both religion and irreligion to distract us from our true need and the remedy to our problem, the available rescue that's there for us. But our God, our God who's in the heavens and does all that he pleases, is not some passive, incapable God. No, he's a rescuing, restoring, redeeming God who loves this world, this lost world, fiercely. And so, as verse 4 and 5 state, at the right time, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came to us as one of us to rescue us. He came to rescue us from our religion. He came to rescue us from our irreligion. He came to rescue us from our slavery. And he did this in two ways with two results. He did this in two ways with two results. First, Paul tells us Jesus satisfied the the requirements of the law. That what God demanded from us, he gave to us in and through Jesus, through his perfect obedience, his perfect holiness. That he lived the life that God has called all of us to, but something we're not able to accomplish on our own. Only Jesus could do that, and he did. But see, in order for us to receive his righteous record, for God to look on us and see that perfection that we don't have, our unrighteousness, our rebellion, our sin needed to be dealt with. And Jesus took care of that too. He went to the cross and he stood in our place. He took on the punishment for our sin. He paid for it in full when his blood was shed as a sacrifice for our rebellion. So he did that in two ways. He did those two things. He lived a perfect life and he died a sacrificial death. But it had two results. Accomplished two things. First, forgiveness. Complete, full Total, unmerited, unearned, unending, gracious forgiveness. Ben, do you get that? We talked about that a bit this morning, that God's removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't hold them against us anymore if we're in Christ. Through Christ, you are made right with God. Through Christ, you are justified before the true, living, holy God. You're declared good and right because Jesus was good and right. You're restored you're at peace. It's all because of what Christ has done. He took our sin and we get to receive by faith his righteousness. What an amazing reality, an amazing truth that we need to be reminded of over and over again. But that's not the only result. I mean, we, we would be, should be blown away if it was just that. God would be exceedingly gracious to merely save us from our sin because none of us deserve it. He would be unfathomably kind at loving us and forgiving us and bringing us into the very edge of his kingdom. 
Like, we're outside of the kingdom of God. We're in darkness. If he just brought us just across the edge, just into the place, just the borders of his kingdom, where there's life and light, that in and of itself would be amazing news that would, should cause us for all eternity, even now, to worship him and praise him for that. But he doesn't stop there. No, he makes us his children. He adopts us into his family. Because of what Christ has done for you, you are welcomed not just into the kingdom of God, but to his table. Sit around and be with him face to face to call him Father. See, before the cross of Christ, you were slave to sin, but now because of what Christ has done, you are a son in freedom. In order for this to happen, for a slave to become a son, the son had to become a slave submitting himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. His life exchanged for yours. His blood purchased your freedom. That's what redemption is. Redemption is the payment for freedom. It cost Christ everything to redeem you out of that slavery. See, through faith in Jesus and what he's done for you, you are released from slavery to become sons. You once were orphans, had no home, but now you're called children because God's adopted you into his family. Man, that's the gloriousness, the good news of the gospel. Now, I know there's men and women in the room this morning, right? I love that our church is made up of men and women, that the image of Christ, the image of God is most, most fully realized in a healthy community of men and women together. Now, ladies, you may be thinking or wondering, but, but it just says sons. So what's up with that? And this is not unintentional. It's very intentional that Paul just uses the word sons here. Not because men are better than or superior to women. Not at all. Remember Galatians 3.28. He says there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When you come to the foot of the cross, no talents, no skin color, no accolades, riches, or gender, warrant favor or disfavor. We all come as slaves to sin, needing to be set free. But he calls us sons here, all of us, men and women, because in ancient culture, it was the firstborn son who received the majority of, if not all of, the inheritance. So see, what Paul is saying here is really important. He's saying that all who are in Christ, both men and women, receive the benefits of, of being just like the firstborn son. That we are co-heirs with Jesus. That everything that Jesus gets, the full inheritance of everything, all the riches of God's grace from the Father are ours. And he tells us that in these next few verses in verses 6 and 7. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Being adopted into the family of God has this idea of receiving the full rights of sons. The greatest aspect of our inheritance is that we get God as father. We get God as father. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, asks this question. What is a Christian? And he says, the question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know 
is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. See, we have to understand before Christ rescued you, before he brought you into relationship with him, you were slaves, not sons, not daughters, not children of God. You couldn't rightly refer to God or come to God as Father. You were orphaned. But the gift of moving from slave to son becomes ours not through being born, but through being born again. John 1, that God gives us the right to become children of God, not because we figured it out on our own, but because he came for us. He rescued us. Jesus enabled this to happen. And now, through faith in Christ, God is Father. Man, what a profound reality. And I would argue that it's one of the most under talked about, the most under-realized, under-reflected on, under-rested in truths of the gospel. That you don't just get to come into the kingdom, that you get to come to the table, that you get to call God Father, and he calls you his own. See, we either take it for granted, or we don't take advantage of it at all. The gospel of Christ, the reality of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross through the empty grave, allows us to pass from death to life. What an amazing reality. What an amazing truth. But listen, you and I don't fully feel the wonder of this new reality until we, as one author says, see it as a transition, not simply out of condemnation to acceptance, but out of bondage and destitution into the safety, certainty, and enjoyment of the family of God where God is our Father. Now, I know for some of you this morning, it's difficult to think about God being a father and being a good father. Because the reality for you is that your earthly father was not or is not good to you. That he was either absent or abusive, harsh or heavy-handed, unloving or uninterested. And if that's you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that was your experience. But hear me on this. Our God is nothing like that. He's nothing like that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we might be called children of God, and so we are. The New International Version translation of this same verse says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Not just given to us, he's lavished it on us. I love that. He's poured it out on us. It's like unending amounts of love being inundated by a deluge of love from the Father. He's not abusive or absent. He's not heavy-handed or harsh. He's not uninterested or unloving. He loves you to the nth degree, to an eternity and back. He loves you so much. And it's the same kind of love and amount that he has for his eternal son, Jesus. Same in kind and amount. That's insane. But that's what your adoption means. That God has poured out this love on you. Man, I love the doctrine of adoption. So then we need to come back to over and over again that Jesus has not only accomplished the ability to you be forgiven of all of your heinous sin, but to move me from the place of slave to son. But the reality for me, and I would guess for some of you at least, is that while I love this truth, I often don't rest in it. While I love this truth, I often don't rest in the love of my Father, 
believing that I am a beloved child of God. I wrestle with the reality of the lavish love of the Father. And so sometimes what happens in my life is I act a whole lot more like a servant or a slave than a son. That I believe I need to do something in order to earn something from God. That my behavior and my performance is what's going to warrant that lavish love of God. Instead of resting in the presence of a God who already has lavish love on me. And do you ever feel that way? I've wrestled with this at different points in time, and I'm in a season, honestly, right now where I, I'm still wrestling with this, realizing how much I, I can gravitate towards not just resting in that, believing that truth. And a good friend of mine sent me a picture recently to help me kind of visualize this and see this, this idea of the fact that I am loved by the Father, and it's, it's Rembrandt's famous painting of the prodigal son. I think we have it on the screen. I don't know how well we'll be able to see it. Not super great, but you should look it up. Oh, there we go. Maybe a little bit better. Man, I love this picture. If you know this story, right? The prodigal son has gone away. He's a rebelled against the father, his father, but he comes back. And this picture here, I love it because you've got the older brother standing off on the side and he's glaring at him. The older brother thinks he has to do something to earn something from his father. And there's other servants in the background that are looking at him. But what is that son doing? Man, he's nasty. He's dirty. He's missing a shoe. You can't see that very well in this picture. He's missing one. I mean, he's not looking great. He's just been hanging out with a bunch of pigs. He doesn't smell great. But this moment, he doesn't give a rip. And he has buried his face in the chest of his father. He doesn't care that his older brother is right there. He doesn't care about anything else because that father has embraced him. He's wrapped his arms around him and he's welcomed him home. Man, I want that to be me. I want that to be you. That as you think about God as Father, that you would want to bury your face in the chest of your Father who lavishes love on you. It starts with believing and resting in the truth that in Christ you are no longer a slave but a son, a daughter, a child, of uh, the beloved child of our great, holy, loving, and living God. Packer goes on to say this in his book. Do I, as a Christian, understand myself? Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother or sister. And then he says this, Say it over and over to yourself. First thing in the morning, last thing at night. As you wait for the busy, any time when your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it as all utterly and completely true. So how are you living today? As a slave or as a son? Maybe what you're realizing, though, this morning is you're actually still an orphan. Because maybe you've never actually truly trusted in Christ You haven't yet been adopted into the family of God. Well, this gift of grace is available for you now. Not because you deserve it, not because you're worthy of it, but because of his ridiculous love for sinners like you and me. See, Christianity is not about bondage, it's true freedom. And and our Father is patient, and he longs for all to come to repentance to experience this freedom. So if that's you, confess your need for Jesus today. 
his life, his death, and his resurrection. Come to him today and walk, not into the arms of condemnation, but the arms of a loving Father who welcomes you home. See, brothers and sisters, if we would meditate on this truth, if we would embrace this enormous reality of being with our perfect Father, that God is our perfect Father, I think it would radically change our lives. It would, first off, it would change the way we interact with God. It would also change the way we interact with one another. Remembering that we're all a family together and God is our Father. We wouldn't be quick to run out or leave or talk ill about one another, but we would be committed to loving one another in light of the love of the Father has for us. And it would radically change how we live our lives in the world. Because the gospel reality like this, it fundamentally changes your identity. It fundamentally changes everything about you. You can't go on living the same. Just like we talked about last week, we are sojourners. We, we have our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And so what that does here and now is it changes our desires. It changes our ambitions. It changes our loves. It changes everything about us. Because we've experienced the resurrecting power of God in our lives. And all of that leads to our biggest dot connection of the day. I have three kids. My two oldest are boys. And so, man, it's been fun because they've really gotten into baseball. And so my oldest is seven. My second oldest is four. And they both love baseball. They love going out in the backyard playing baseball. My oldest plays on a team at different points in the season or the year. But one of the things I love the most is that they actually love to watch baseball. And so we, we sit out and we watch Nationals games, and there's a lot of them to watch, 162 of them. And so, man, they love to sit down and they watch them. And my oldest, he'll even sit there and watch a whole game by himself if we let him. And he's that interested in it. He knows all the players' names. My four-year-old probably knows most of the players' names, if not all of them. And they love the Nationals. But the reason they love the Nationals is because I love the Nationals. If I was a fan of another team, they would probably love that team. See, now that you and I have experienced rescue and redemption, now that we've been adopted by God into his family, experienced this lavish love of the Father, what starts to happen is we begin to take on the family likeness. We love the things that our Father loves. And caring for spiritual orphans is not the only kind of orphan care that God cares about. Hear the heart of our Father. From Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And what does he say? Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Do you see what's going on here? The people of God were rescued out of slavery. They became God's children. They were rescued out of slavery. They had been sojourners in a foreign land, in a place that wasn't their home. And God came for them, and he rescued them, and he freed them. And this God, our God, is a God of justice. He connects these two things together. He's a God of justice for the marginalized, for the sojourner, for the refugee, for the downtrodden, for the oppressed, for the widow, and for the fatherless. So what does he call us to do? He says, love the sojourner, love the marginalized, love the orphan. But do you catch why? He says, because that was you. Because you were sojourners and I rescued you. So now go and do likewise. 
Brothers and sisters, only when you embrace your own adoption by the Father will you be compelled to care for the fatherless in our world. And it's both a cause of celebration and thanksgiving as well as action. Living out the compassionate heart of a father who took us in, who brought us home, who threw his robe around us, who adopted us and called us his. So now, as adopted and dearly loved children of God, we show mercy and we give mercy because it has been shown and given to us. Just like marriage is a picture of the gospel, so is adoption and orphan care. And the faith we've been talking about over these last few weeks in the book of Hebrews is a faith that has movement to it. Real faith responds in real obedience to living out the ethic of our king and his kingdom. And so as sojourners, men and women looking forward to and longing for the new city, the new city where Jesus will proclaim, behold, I am making all things new, where there will be no more boys and girls in our world without a mom or a dad to love them and care for them. We are called to do something about that as we wait as we wait for our blessed hope, the return of our Savior King. And so to close this morning, I want to call us to action-oriented faith. But action-oriented faith that flows out of the confidence of our own spiritual adoption. So to do that, I want to list off a few things of ways that we can do that. But before we get to that, I want to show you a quick video that the Christian Alliance for Orphans has put out to encourage us with the heart of our Father. Let me just encourage you, before you think about all the different ways you can get involved, and I'll talk about those, the first thing that you would do, though, before you move anywhere else, the first thing that you would do is take time this week. Take time this week and in the weeks ahead to seriously meditate on and rest in and celebrate your adoption. That you would just contemplate the fact that the Father has lavished His love on you. That you would think about the reality that God is your Father and that that will never change. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he paid a great price for you to be his. And then out of that, then figure out how God is calling you to live out the heart of your Father when it comes to the fatherless in our world. The video listed off a bunch of different ways that we can get involved with that. And I want to mention seven this morning. Now, I'm going to list these off and talk about different ways that you can practically get involved in caring for orphans around the world. And if I'm going to rattle some things off, if you need more information or miss something I say, just email me and I'd love to get you all of this or answer any questions that you might have. The first way that you can get involved is talk with families who've adopted. Talk with families who've adopted. Figure out ways that you can serve those who are currently in the process of adopting or have adopted. There's several families in our church. You could talk to C. Young and Sarah Lee or Eric and Melanie Taylor, Scott and Katie McKinney. You could talk with my family. My family and I have been in the adoption process now for a long time. But my wife also worked in international adoption for about eight years. But I encourage you, if if you've never really thought about this before or what it actually looks like to do this, to bring a child into your home and call them your own, Man, these families would love to talk with you. And a good question to ask them, maybe not even directly relevant to them, but is how can I come alongside of someone who is adopting to serve them, to encourage them, to help them? So reach out to one of those families or maybe somebody else you know in your life who's done this. 
The second thing you can do is actually pursue adoption. That you could take a step towards that. And just maybe even just one step, like just finding out a little bit more information. Man, there's stories of people in our church who've come on a Sunday morning like this on an adoption, I mean an orphan care Sunday, an orphan Sunday, and have been encouraged and challenged just to take that next step and are now either in the process of adopting or have adopted. Man, maybe God's doing something in your life this morning. Would you just take one step to pray, to consider, is God wanting me to do this? There's a bunch of great adoption agencies around our country, but there's two that are actually uh, have some local offices here. One is called Bethany Christian Services, and the other is called America World Adoption. So reach out to them. They have information that you can learn about what they're doing, both domestically and internationally, to care for orphans and see them have a mom and a dad and be brought into a family. Our church is so committed to this that we have an adoption fund Over the last several years, we've put money into that fund every year. There's about $32,000 sitting in this fund right now, and it's there to give to you to pursue adoption. We want to come alongside of you because adoption can be expensive at times. It can be taxing financially. So we just want to come and give you a grant and help you along in that process. So, man, I want to see us use all that money. Give it away. That means we have more kids in this church who've been come from a place where they didn't have a mom or dad, but now they do. So if you have questions about any of that, let somebody know, but reach out to one of those agencies as well. The third thing that you could do is get involved in foster care. Man, there's a great need for foster families right here in Fairfax. Now, kids that are in foster care are not literally orphaned most of the time, but they are functionally orphaned. Meaning that for whatever reason, their mom or their dad isn't able to care for them. Either they've, because of abuse or addiction, sometimes incarceration, And so right now what they need is they need a mom and a dad to care for them and love them. And there are tons of kids in our county that most of the time actually get sent outside of Fairfax County because there aren't enough families in Fairfax County to foster them. There's 1.2 million people in our county. And we could do something about that. A church of 150 people can do something about that. And so I would encourage you to take a step to look into what does it look like for you to be a foster family. And how you can even, if you think, well, I can't do that right now for whatever your life circumstances is, are, is figure out how you can serve people who are doing foster care. There's two different places or ways you could do that. You can go through Fairfax Foster Care and Adoption, which is the county's uh, organization or arm that deals with that, that works with kids and families. There's also a private uh, organization called Northern Virginia Family Services, another nonprofit in this area that seeks to connect families with kids who need them here in this area. And oftentimes, foster care can lead to adoption, but it doesn't always. It's a great need in our community. The fourth thing you can do is partner with orphan care organizations. There are a ton of great organizations doing global orphan care. And for the millions of kids that are orphans, the reality is, is a lot of them will never be able to be adopted. But God calls us to care for them. James 1 and 27 says to visit orphans, spend time with them, be present in their lives. So there's ways that we can come alongside of and visit orphans and encourage them in their distress. That we can fight for justice for them along with these organizations. We can sponsor children and families to actually keep kids from becoming orphans. To help keep families intact. Orphanages often need resources. Right now in Ethiopia, there's a huge need for orphanage partnership because so many orphanages don't have the resources necessary to care for the kids in their care. 
And so you could come alongside of them and actually provide some of those resources to help them. So find a solid organization and partner with them. There's an organization called Lifesong that we already have a relationship with as a church. They do a lot of these kinds of things, global orphan care. There's another one called Go Be Love International that does orphan care, where you can actually get on a plane and go visit orphans and hang out with them and love on them and care for them. And you can come alongside and sponsor and see discipleship and education take place in health care. There's another organization called One Orphan, and that's a ministry of America World Adoption that does very similar things. So look up those organizations. Figure out how God might be calling you to help care for orphans. And maybe right now that's one of the best places you can get involved because you're not yet married. You're not yet in a place to have children in your home. Man, you can get engaged in this way in caring for orphans. The fifth thing any of us can do this as well is serve at a crisis pregnancy center. Man, a lot of times there are young men and young women in our area who are struggling with an unexpected pregnancy. And they're at this place in their life where they're thinking about either aborting that baby or having it. And these pregnancy centers come alongside and seek to encourage those men and women to not go the path of abortion, but to actually deliver that child, to bring them into this world, and either parent them on their own or connect them to a family to be their mom and dad through adoption. So you can come alongside and encourage them and care for them and disciple them and tell them about Jesus in the midst of that. There are two different organizations in our area. The first is Sanctity of Life Ministries, which is right here in Fairfax. And another one is called Assist Pregnancy Center, which is in Annandale, just right next to Fairfax. Both great organizations that you could volunteer with or partner with. The sixth thing is just learn more. And grab a book and grab a few people and start talking about it. Two books that I would suggest. One is called Orphanology by Tony Marita. He's a pastor down in North Carolina who God gripped his heart for this. His family's adopted, I think, four children into their family. It's a great book about the orphan crisis and ways that we can get involved in it. Orphanology. Another book is called Adopted for Life by Russell Moore. And what he does in that book is basically what we've done this morning is kind of talk about our spiritual adoption and the reality of how that lives out in our life with our hands and feet. So grab some people and talk about this and ask that question. What's God teaching me? What's he showing me? And seventh and finally, it's just to spend time in prayer. Man, if this is the heart of our Father, if we know that He wants to do justice for the fatherless, that He cares for them, that He desires this, to look out for the weak in our world, then we can and should come before Him on their behalf and in prayer and pray for them and pray that God would love and care for them and use His people to do that. Listen, no matter where you are in life right now, there are ways for you to live out this reality, to get involved, to make adoption and orphan care a part of your life now even plan for the future to say, I want this to be, I want adoption to be a part of my life in the future, even if it can't be right now, that God would stir your heart towards that. It doesn't mean that God will lead you to adopt at all, but as a once fatherless person, I just want to implore you to be a participant to care for the fatherless in our world. My desire, my vision for our church is that we would be a community so shaped by, so marked by the mercy and grace of our Father who adopted us into his family, that we willingly and welcome anyone and everyone, orphans, into our church family and support in one another in doing so. That we would long to see this place filled with kids who at one point didn't have a mom or dad, but now they do. We'd be so marked by that that God would lead us to that. And when the world around us asks us why, why are you doing this? We can confidently testify. We can stand up and testify and say, because that was me. 
And my God brought me in. As we come forward today to take communion, we come to participate in a meal that is for the children of God because it reminds us of who we are and how we came to be the children of God. As we eat the bread, it's a reminder that Christ's body was broken for you so that you might be adopted into the family of God. As we drink the cup, we're reminded of Christ's blood that was shed for you so that you might be adopted into the family of God. And we do this both with reverence because of the great cost to redeem us and with great joy and thanksgiving because God has lavished his love on us so that we might be called sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ. And so as you come forward this morning, come in a spirit of reverence and joy and take some time to reflect on this reality that you were once an orphan, lost and alone, but now you've been brought near to the Father who will never leave you or forsake you. And then let's stand and join together in singing and celebration of the great grace we've received. And may that propel us as we walk out of these doors today to live as sojourners, striving to live out the heart of our Father. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. Because this is a meal, a declaration that we are desperate for Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Christ, like I said earlier, I just want you to hang out in your seat and pray. Ask God to save you today. We want you to take Jesus today so that you might know the love of the Father and might be adopted into that family. And then let somebody around you know that so we can journey with you in that and what it means to know and follow Christ. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or in the back. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for our time together this morning to be able to worship you. God, we give you praise and thanks that you are our Father. That we couldn't always have said that. Because of what Christ has done for us now, we can come to you as Father. The Father who has lavished his love on us. So Lord, I pray that we would do these two things this week. That we would stop and rest in and contemplate that reality that you would overwhelm our hearts and our minds with peace and joy because you've brought us into your family, not just into your kingdom, but to your table. So Lord, may that give us great encouragement this week. But Lord, I also pray that you'd propel us out, that as sojourners in this place, longing for the new city, that we would seek to do something about the orphan crisis in our world, that we would take up your heart to care for the fatherless. So Lord, give us wisdom, give us direction on that, and help us not to skate this, not to weasel our way around this, not having to engage this. Would you hit us between the eyes and in our heart and call us clearly to what you'd have us do, both as individuals and as a church, for your glory and for the good of others. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.